and welcome to the Common Sense Gospel. I'm Danny Simmons. And I'm Kurt Norbert. And we are glad you're with us today. we got an uh, interesting topic, interesting title, I hope you think. Uh, Mephibosheth and Me. We want to look at the story of Mephibosheth that's found in 2 Samuel chapter 9. We're going to read through that uh, with you. And we're going to talk about some things that, that Kurt and I see that we just think are so interesting and, and good for us as New Testament Christians to look at and consider these types and pictures of Christ, of God, and, and what what they have done for us. It is really a, an interesting thing. So we'll go through that together. Um, I think, I haven't asked her, but I think we're both willing to declare that we're going to set the record for the number of times in one podcast that the hosts say the name Mephibosheth. <laughs> I think we'll be number one. <laughs> We've already said it two or three times. Yeah, it's, it's coming up. I mean, we, we could just say M, I guess. <laughs> no, we're going to say Mephibosheth. We've got to set right. the record. So, there you go. All right, right. So, so here we go. We're going to set the record for Mephibosheth. And verse 1 of 2 Samuel 9 says, Now David said, he, he's been established as king. Mm -hmm. uh, his administration has been put in place. And so now he's going to keep a promise. David has said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So that's how this begins. David, he's looking around. Uh, things are starting to get set up and, and established. Uh, we, we know that the ark of God has been brought into Jerusalem. Those things have been set up uh, to some degree at this point. And it crosses David's heart and his mind. Is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, as we saw, uh, Ziba is going to be brought before King David because he's a servant of the house of Saul, and he'll know if there's anyone left. So David asks him, and now the question is a little more specific because he mentions the kindness of God. He says, is there anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? That's an amazing statement. The kindness of God David wants to share that with anyone who is of the household of Saul. So mm -hmm. Ziba says, there is a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. That's an interesting description of Mephibosheth. Yeah. He's a son of Jonathan. And I imagine, you know, David's asking about the household of Saul. But when he says Jonathan, I imagine David's face is going to light up. And, and, you know, this is really the heart of why he's asking anyway. Mm -hmm. It's connected to Jonathan. And uh, there's one thing described of this descendant, son of Jonathan, he's lame in his feet. Yeah. Why was he lame in his feet? Well, we're told in uh, uh, 2 Samuel 5, just a few chapters ahead of this, that when the news reached the palace that both Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle against the Philistines on Mount Gilboa, that his nurse panicked and swept the child up and apparently was trying to escape, run to safety, and he fell. Uh, either she dropped him or for whatever happened, he fell violently enough to injure himself. And from that point on, he was lame in his feet. Both of his feet, that's right. Mm -hmm. She made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. That's actually 2 Samuel 4, 4, but that's where that passage is. 4, 4, that's right. So then we don't hear anything about him until chapter 9. David is now looking for any descendants of the household of Saul, and he comes back on the scene. 
just through description only. So in verse 4, the king said to him, now the king's talking to, Z to Ziba, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, in Lodibar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, from Lodibar. So I'm, I'm just imagining that, you know, David's got word of where he is now, and he sends a, probably some soldiers. Right, <laughs> a, some troops. Uh, and imagine what Mephibosheth is thinking. The, the king's men come into town. Yeah. There's already going to be commotion stirring. Something's going on. Everybody knows it. Then they knock on his door. And, and the soldiers say something to, to the tune of the king has requested you. Your, your presence is requested by the king. Mm -hmm. um, we, and we don't know what Mephibosheth thinks of David at this time or what he knows about him. Uh, but he does know this. He knows that he lost the use of his feet when the nurse was fleeing with him because Saul and Jonathan had been murdered. Because the nurse knows that every descendant is going to be put to death. This right. boy's too young to rule. Yeah. She tried to hide him. So now the king, who's currently sitting on the throne, wants to see him. I mean, that would scare me to death. Yeah. I would think my life was over. Uh, knowing the usual chain of events back then when a new dynasty took a throne, uh, which was everyone in the previous dynasty was gotten rid of. That's right. The new king did not want anyone around who could lay any kind of a claim to the throne and basically start trouble. Although in David's case, of course, this was God's will. God had declared to Saul, I'm taking the kingdom away from you. And he had had Samuel anoint David as the king. And I think it's interesting to point out and, and helps us fill the backstory here. Jonathan understood that. Oh, Jonathan is yeah. the, the crown prince of Israel. Yeah. Uh, if Saul dies, Jonathan is king. Um, and yet he's, he knows that God has declared David to be the next king. He understands that, and so that's why this whole situation comes about, because he asks David to promise to care for my family. That's right. Out of our friendship together. He says forever. Yeah, and so, and David accepts that. Yes, he does. So this is a very unusual situation for uh, a king back in those days. Uh, and to bring it back to what we've been talking about, I'm sure when those, those troops knocked on the door... We're here to see Mephibosheth. We're from David. Ooh, that doesn't <laughs> sound good. I'm dead. It's over. <laughs> yep. Man, I, I know. And, and, and the point you made is, is an excellent one because that was the practice. If, if a new kingship is, is established, everyone from the old is put to death so that there can be no uprising. Mm -hmm. And I would even say that, say the people look at the new king and they say, boy, this guy is horrible, then the momentum would swing back to look for anyone else yep. of the previous kingship that we enjoyed. You know what I mean? So it just it just gets rid of any potential of that happening. There's no one left who can sit on this throne but me. It's to solidify the kingdom, basically. Yeah, and it, it really does. It has to be done because trouble always arises if it's not done that way. Uh, we even see that in the... And, and just as a, a sidelight to that, you see that with uh, Solomon when he became king. One of his brothers tried to usurp and at first Solomon didn't do anything about it it was exposed and Solomon said okay you stay in your house yeah basically exiled him and and uh, 
His brother agreed to that, which, because he probably recognized, hey, I'm getting off the hook here. Mm-hmm. Well, then later he broke that, that promise. And Solomon had him retrieved and said, okay, bring him before me. And he said, uh, we agreed that you would stay there. And now you have violated that, put him to death. Yeah, so there's a picture of that. Yeah, so We're not there's, gonna let there's that... Solomon. But Solomon was very merciful in the way he did it, but he was not hesitant at all. For any, any, any threats to the throne like that, even from among the family, they had to be dealt with. Yeah. So they've gone to get the man, Mephibosheth, uh, and they've told him, you're coming with us. And I think, too, because he's lame in his feet that uh, these soldiers, I don't know, it doesn't tell us, but he needed some help. Yeah. He they, would have they, had to they be loaded him up. or something. Yeah, yeah, somebody carried him, or he probably has a way, means put of getting a, around. Put him on a mule or in a wagon mm-hmm. or some, some transport, yeah. So now he's moving towards the home of the king and just has plenty of time to think about how he's <laughs> going to be put to death. So in verse 6 now, after David has retrieved him, or at least sent for him, uh, it says to us in verse 6, Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Here is your servant. Uh you know, this is one of those places that you can kind of, you're, you're in your daily scripture reading and just trying to get to chapter 10 or whatever. And that's a mistake because, oh, yeah. man, Mephibosheth prostrates himself. He, he bows his face to the ground, and, and David calls him by name. Um, this idea of him falling on his face, you know, I think David, seeing him enter into the room, who do you think he saw when he looked at Mephibosheth? <laughs> yeah. He looks like his old man. Yeah, Yeah. it happens so often with us. You look so much like your dad. Yeah. So David, again, his heart is in a place that Mephibosheth could not even imagine. He sees this man's face. Now he he sees someone that looks similar to Jonathan in some way, and he puts his face to the ground before David, which which he should do. Mm -hmm. But then David calls him out by name, and, and so we start to see this turn where Mephibosheth's thinking, well, yes, Lord. You know, yeah, he, what's going on? <laughs> here's, here's your servant. But again, it's important to recognize the heart of David, his intention of bringing him in, and, and, and what's actually happening, even though with Mephibosheth, he doesn't see all of that yet. And I, I just can't help myself but to think that, you know, David's saying, you look like the greatest friend I ever had. Mm. Well, I think uh, you see David's heart, the, the very first words he says to Mephibosheth there in verse 7, which would, I think, tie into what we've been saying. From Mephibosheth's Mephibosheth's point of view, there's nothing really positive about any of this as far as what he's thinking. Why has the king called for me specifically? Mm -hmm. I'm I'm a descendant of Saul, so I have a royal claim, a strong royal claim. He's the Right in the line of Saul, the son of Jonathan, who was the prince. That's right. And so, you know, He's I've got one. a claim. He does. Yeah, he I'm, is the, I'm next in the lineage of Saul. But that kingdom now is belongs to David. So Mephibosheth has reason to fear. He absolutely does. And so David's statement, him, verse 7, we'll read that. It says, so David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake and will restore to you all of the land of Saul, your grandfather. And you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, 
What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Uh, like you said, the first thing David says after he says his name is do not fear. And that is what we always see from God speaking mm-hmm. to to men, Christ speaking to his apostles, fear not, peace be unto you. you know, those kind of statements are always given from the Lord. And, and the fact that David needs to say it tells us that Mephibosheth, that he's trembling. There's, mm-hmm. He knows something isn't right, and he may be about to lose his life. And so David, and maybe even if he's not shaking, um, David knows that. And so he says, don't be afraid. Um, I'm going to show you kindness. And then he says to him, you shall eat at my bread. You shall eat bread at my table continually. And we'll see in this chapter that David will say this three times in front of Mephibosheth. He says it in verse 7, says it in verse 10, and he says it in verse 11. So this repeated statement, you are going to eat bread at my table continually, is constantly being said before Mephibosheth. And so that's the promise from the king to this man who considers himself a dead dog, right? He says, Mm -hmm. what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog? dog as I. And his statement is right because of all that we've talked about. Mm -hmm. And yet Mephibosheth does not know about the covenant that David made with Jonathan. And the interesting thing, again, we're talking about these types of Christ and, and who God is, that in the case of Mephibosheth, he doesn't know the covenant. He wasn't there. He wasn't even alive. Yeah. You know that? Yeah. When they yeah. when they made the covenant together, Mephibosheth not yeah, even in the picture. Yet, yeah. And so there, there's a just looking ahead. Yeah. That's a picture of us. That today in 2022, that the Lord would would call us by name. Mm. He would call us and bring us in and seat us at His table. All of those things are there for us in the New Testament. Uh, there's pictures of that for us, and so it really is. Uh, a very clear picture of some of that as we look mm-hmm. look at this now. Well, I think we see too on the part of Mephibosheth here his complete humility. Oh yeah. Recognizing I don't deserve this treatment. I'm I'm just a dead dog. Dogs weren't highly thought of in no, Israel they weren't. at that time. So he is lowering himself as much as possible before David. I am not I don't deserve like like he says, what is your servant? that you would look upon such a worthless individual as I am, a dead dog. That's right. So he's recognizing and acknowledging this great extension of kindness and mercy uh, toward him from the king and recognizing his own position too. I don't deserve any of this. I haven't done anything. This is all because you and my dad made an agreement. Yeah. Apparently, you know, he, mm-hmm. he understands that now because a couple of times David has told him this is for your father Jonathan's sake. Um, and I'm sure Mephibosheth probably knew of some of the background of that great friendship between David and Jonathan. I hope so, yeah. So uh, it's so neat that you see this, this type here of the king extending his mercy, even beyond that, inviting Mephibosheth has to his table. I'm going to provide from you from now on. You know, everything's taken care of. I'm giving you your inheritance back. Here's all the land, the whole thing. That's right. And, and he's, he's lower than the, the lowest citizen because he still poses a threat to the king. Right. So it brings him down another notch. 
which you pointed out, no one, the, being a dog was a horrible, horrible thing. Being called a dog. Mm-hmm. In 1 Samuel 17, remember Goliath comes out and says, Am I a dog? Yeah. Did you come out to me with sticks? Mephibosheth doesn't call himself a dog. He calls himself a dead dog. Yeah, even worse. Yeah, totally worthless. So that, that language yeah. is important. Yeah. He, that's how he sees himself mm-hmm. in front of a king. And same for us. Yep. An almighty, all-powerful God who can do what he wants and have what he wants that he's called us? You know, for what? What does he want? He's and, allowed us into his presence. He's told us, I'm going to take care of you from now on. I'll feed you. How, how do I deserve this? I'm He's nothing. Give land and inheritance. Yeah, it's I'm all nothing. Right there. <laughs> I, don't, I don't deserve this kindness. That's amazing. We need to, to remember that, yes. So just, just for a moment, I'm going to take us where Mephibosheth has not been. 1 Samuel 18 says, Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, this is David after killing Goliath, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. Jonathan took off the robe that was on him. There's that picture of the prince in line. Yeah. Took off the robe that was on him, gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword, his bow, and his belt. So there's, we're told about a covenant that is made there in 1 Samuel 18, verses 1 through 4. But 1 Samuel 20 is where we are given the words of this covenant, or at least it is now a concrete promise and statement one to another. 1 Samuel 20 mm-hmm. and verse 12 says, Jonathan said to David, now they're, they're out in the field. Remember, Saul's uh-huh. trying to kill David. Yep. And, and Jonathan says, I don't think my dad wants to kill you, but if he does... I will surely let you know. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't want to kill you, I'll let you know that as well. So David's hiding out in the field. This is their final statement to each other before David has to escape Saul. Jonathan said to David, The Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow or the third day, or indeed there is good toward David, and I do not send to you and tell you, may the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. And the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. Mm-hmm. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. Now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. So there's there's the wording of that covenant. Mm-hmm. Not just me, but my household forever. So again, a covenant is established before you even are alive. And now you are. And there's been a lot of horrible things go on. You know, you don't have such a great life uh, living in Lodibar where there's not a whole lot going on. <laughs> Probably still in hiding at some level from the king. Mm-hmm. And he says, come to me because you don't know who I am. His explanation of the new king wanting to kill you and that we got to flee, you know, all that was not true. Yeah. That was that was bad information. David promised to show kindness and he's keeping his word. So again, this picture of the alien sinner who he thinks about the Lord is the great thou shalt not and he he's going to strike me down. I hear people say all the time that I would come to church, but I I'll, I'll just be struck dead if I walk in the door. Yeah. They're halfway joking because it's like I don't I don't belong there. Yeah. But that we're back with Mephibosheth at that point. Apparently, you don't understand who God is mm-hmm. when you say things like that. Right. 
Yeah, it, and, and we've discussed that in in, uh, in previous episodes of our podcast. That there's, there is, and it's understandable, that Jesus said it would be such a great misrepresentation of God and a misunderstanding of him. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I think people don't want to investigate that because they don't want their picture of God to be changed. Sure. They kind of take, almost use it as an excuse, oh, God is is mean, God is, he just wants to crush people, he can't wait to judge, and I'm not going to serve a God like that. Well, God isn't like that. That's right. So you can serve him. Mm-hmm. He, he wants to welcome you to his table. Wait till you find he, out who he really is. Yeah, he made some promises before we were even born, and he's keeping those promises. He's faithful to himself. Yep. That's amazing, and that's exactly what's happening here. So, so we 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 left off in verse eight, and you know Mephibosheth says uh, that you should look upon such a dead dog as I. I love verse nine because David doesn't even answer him. Yeah, <laughs> he's like he just turns away in verse nine, and he says, and the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your servant's son all that belongs to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king has commanded his servants, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. That's the Mm. third time he said that. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both of his seat, both of his feet. So there's that final statement of Mephibosheth as he spends time with the king. It's it's been done. Mm-hmm. Yep, and he's going to spend as far as we know the rest of his life in the palace. That's right. Interesting. He. He, he winds up in the palace anyway. <laughs> That's right. So here he's in the palace of the king, and the king continually takes care of him. And he says, now you don't, don't have to worry about your inheritance. Ziba, you and your sons and servants, you're going to take care of the land. Work the land, yeah. You know, it's, so it's not going to be allowed to go to ruin or anything. You take care of your master, Mephibosheth's, mm-hmm. inheritance. But he is going to be here at my table. Every day, continually. Uh, it's, it's so fascinating, like you pointed out, how many times that, that is emphasized. David's basically saying, I made a promise and I'm going to take care of you. That's right. I'm going to provide for you. you. You don't have the kingdom anymore. You really didn't even have your father's inheritance anymore because he's dead and he, you have no position. But I'm giving that back to you. You're going to be in the palace. You're going to eat at my table. I'm going to provide for you. You don't have to fear. It's all good. Yeah, and he, I mean, as we began this, he says, I want to show him the kindness of God. Yes. And in how many ways is that true? Yeah. It's exactly the kindness of God and who he is and how he works. Mm-hmm. And so him being at the table every day and being reassured, you know the beautiful thing of him in the palace now? He doesn't have to worry about the guy being in charge and having to give all the answers of what's going to happen next and what to do with who. He just simply enjoys all the benefits of the kingdom mm-hmm. without the pressure of the people or the decisions right. of war. Man, yeah. what a deal. He's not ruling, but he, he enjoys the favor of the king. So 
he basically is telling Mephibosheth, you don't have to worry about anything anymore. <laughs> you can live in peace. It may have taken a little so, while to what a, truly what believe a change, that. Yeah, what a change of, of uh, environment. That's right. And so our title, Mephibosheth and Me. Uh, from now on, as we've read, he will sit at the king's table and eat bread with him there every day because of the sacred promise and covenant that David, Mephibosheth's father, had made with Jonathan. And I want to connect a New Testament passage to that idea to show the picture of Christ and the promise for mm -hmm. us and, and what the Bible has to say. Revelation 19 and verse 7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. This picture of the bride coming to be with Christ uh, forever, to sit at the table, the marriage supper of the Lamb. That if we're faithful to God, we are granted that very same seat mm. to such a greater degree. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, you can't even compare the physical table of David, you know, the spread that he had put out every breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day for all of his family and those subjects that he uh, deigned to show favor to come to his table. And yeah. that, that was a big deal for a king, too. That was often a case. A king would show favor to someone by inviting them to eat at the table. And might not necessarily that they would be there all the time. I'm just inviting you tonight to you know, yeah. I want to show you some favor. And yet here with Mephibosheth, it's for the rest of your life. Continually. I've got you right. covered Until on this. Until you die. But, you know, there's so many. This is a, such a beautiful type. Um, there were a couple of thoughts that, I, that came to me out of uh, 2 Samuel 19, which is now another phase of the relationship between David oh, and yes. Mephibosheth. Because mm -hmm. this is after Absalom has tried to take the kingdom, tried to usurp the kingdom from David. That's right. David has won the victory and is coming back to Jerusalem. And... Mephibosheth is misrepresented uh, by Ziba. Mm -hmm. uh, Ziba comes to greet the king, which, again, that was a kind of a customary thing. You welcome the king back to show you that you were still loyal and humble to the king and that you weren't involved in the, in the rebellion. And David asks Ziba, well, where is Mephibosheth? Oh, he, uh, he stayed behind because he thought the kingdom was going to be his. Wow, that's low rent. Yeah. But but that that comes into play because Mephibosheth does come to see the king uh, when he's on his way back to Jerusalem. And he explains to David in, in uh, 2 Samuel 19, verse 26, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me, for your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself, that I may ride on it and go to the king because your servant is lame. And he has slandered your servant to my lord the king. But my Lord, the king is like the angel of God. Therefore, do what is good in your eyes. Mm -hmm. And then he goes on and says one more thing, which I think shows us what our attitude would be. And that is that Mephibosheth recognizes his complete dependence on David and recognizes what David has done for him. Yeah. And therefore, how could I? 
turn against you. In verse 28, he goes on and says, For all of my father's house were but dead men before my lord the king. Yet you set your servant among those who eat at your table. Therefore, what right have I still to cry out any more to the king? So there's that complete humility. I mean, he points out the injustice. Sure. Um, Zebel lied about me. Mm-hmm. But then he goes on and says, but I have no position to complain before you. You're everything. You're like an angel of God as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I was a dead dog when I met yeah, you. Yeah, I, I had nothing. Mm-hmm. I didn't deserve anything, and yet you put me at your own table. Yeah. Uh, but then we see one more uh, characteristic of Mephibosheth that I think needs to be looked at and appreciated. The king said to him, Why do you speak any more of your matters? I have said, You and Ziba divide the land. So he's basically... Okay, let's, let's have a compromise here. Uh, Ziba, you go your way. I'll give you half the land. Mephibosheth, half of it's yours. And, and let's just bury this thing. Mephibosheth said to the king in verse 30, Rather let him take it all, inasmuch as my lord the king has come back in peace to his own house. Here, for the sake of David, Mephibosheth was willing to give up everything. Mm-hmm. He says, you, you are the one that's taking care of me. Yeah. And... And I'm just depending on that. And I'm, my earthly goods are, are counted as nothing. Yeah. Just let him have it all. Let's, I'm just glad that you are back uh, as the rightful king of Israel. So just a tremendous attitude on Mephibosheth's part of, of humility and recognition of David, of gratefulness for what he's done, and putting his, himself and his possessions in their proper priority. Yeah. As compared to what David has done with him. So a picture of us again, that we yep. should be so grateful and, and, and have that heart of gratitude in the heart of a servant. That you know, I, mm-hmm. you've let me in and I just wanna I wanna do what's best in your eyes, not my own. Uh, you know, seeking property, land, accolades of my own are, are not worth anything apart from you because without you I would be hopelessly lost. That is exactly where we are before God. And, and it's it's all correct. It's the right way to handle it because he is mm-hmm. he is that one that the scriptures tell us that he is. And our faith and confidence is there, and so our work and our effort is on his behalf to glorify him and him alone. No flesh is going to glory in his presence. Right. So get yeah. rid of that idea. Yeah, it it's, is. It's instead, be humble and grateful and, and get to work and you know, yeah. contribute to the work of the kingdom. It, it is this merciful and gracious king who has raised us up from nothing. We're just dead dogs. And yet, as, we as you pointed out, that beautiful picture in Revelation, we're invited to sit at the table yep. and feast with the king. All we got to do wow. is go. Yep. Accept the invitation. Yes, sir. Exactly. Very good. Well, there's a lot to be seen there. I love that story of Mephibosheth mm-hmm. and, and the picture of us sitting right there with him. Uh, we can do our trivia questions if you think you're ready. I think I'm ready. Okay. We'll find out how ready I really <laughs> am. <laughs> Yes, I'll, I'll go first. Okay. Um, I'm going to give you one from the book of Job. Ah, okay. It's not hard either. <laughs> I think everyone <laughs> who hears good. this question is going to get it right. Okay. <laughs> now I'm really on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> how many How many children did Job have uh, in Job chapter 1? Uh, ten. Do you know how it breaks up between girls and boys? Uh, Sons and I daughters? believe it was eight boys and two daughters. Oh, man, you're close. 
That's not part of the question, but it's seven sons, okay. three daughters. But ten is the correct answer for my first trivia question. That is found in Job chapter 1 and verse 2. Ten children. Well, I got that half right, so. Uh, I'm giving you the whole thing. No, I'm, I'm going to start out hard on you. Oh, man. This, this is a tough one. Uh, it's back to Mephibosheth. Uh, we're we're going to look at him. Uh, over in, uh, and this may help you out a little bit, over in First Chronicles chapter 8 and in chapter 9, his name is rendered as Merib Baal. Um, but going back to Mephibosheth, what does his name mean? What does Mephibosheth mean? Are you tie, tying Merib Baal to this? Uh, it's, it may help to explain what it means. I'm thinking of Gideon. His father, his father gave him a new name because of Baal. Let Baal give an answer or something like that. Um, Am I close? Yeah, you're kind of along the line. It, it literally means from the mouth of shame. Oh man, Mephibosheth. Which is, I I thought about that and I go, okay, what you know, usually. Especially in Israel, a person's given a name, and it's there's actually a message there. Absolutely. So from the mouth of shame, of course, when you connect that with Baal, here's a source of shame, a false god, mm-hmm. an idol that Israel has accepted. Uh, so Saul named his son this, perhaps to remind Israel of the dangers of idolatry, uh, of mm-hmm. false god. I don't know. The, the Bible never indicates why he was given this name. Right. It doesn't play out in his life where we can go, oh, there it is. Yeah. That's why he's named that. And it, there's no prophetic uh, connection that I've ever found. But, but From the mouth of from shame the mouth is of what shame. Mephibosheth means. Mephibosheth, yeah. And maybe because of the shame we feel when we try to say his name. Because <laughs> it's hard. It really yeah, is. As I stumbled a few times. <laughs> trying to say like, why yes, did you do correct. that to me, Dad? I mean, maybe <laughs> yeah. David or something. Can you, Can we just go with meth for sure or something? <laughs> Can you lighten that up a little bit? <laughs> yeah, take one section of this name. This is ridiculous. All right, from the mouth of shame. Here we go. Very good. Two. I did not know that. Number two for you. Um, Joseph, son of Jacob, had two dreams. So it's a two-part question. Uh, one, he says, he, he gives to his brothers, tells them what the dream was. And the mm-hmm. second one he gives, apparently in the hearing of his father as well, because uh, Jacob will respond, uh-huh. Can you give us the details of the two dreams? What did he dream about? Well, the first one of his brothers, uh, there were grain stalks or sheaves of sheaves, grain yeah. that bowed down to his sheaf. And his sheaf rose up. Yep. That's and the they, first one. they understood what that meant. Yeah. Because you're, they either you're say, saying we're bowing down to you. Yep. Now, the second one is I saw the sun and the moon and the stars bowing down to me. And Jacob understood, you're, wait a minute, you're saying your father and your mother and your brothers are going to bow down to you? And he rebuked him for it. Yeah. But it also says he kept these words in his heart. That's right. Man, very good. Yeah, he rebuked him because the patriarch doesn't bow to his children. Right. Ever. You're way out of line here, yeah, dude. Really you're is. the youngest child. Exactly. And you're saying that you're going to be the greatest over the family? Hold on. And yet, it's, it's so interesting when they come to Joseph in Egypt mm-hmm. and bow down before him. Gladly. <laughs> yes. You're just thinking, boy, I mean, what was going through Joseph's mind? I know. Here's the fulfillment. Here is that dream. 
that my brothers have now come down and bowed down before me. His approach to it was was brilliant. He he doesn't do a victory dance and no, uh, yeah, and in fact, I think you did a real good job uh, the other night or uh, last Sunday, I should say, in the, the series you're doing on Joseph, in pointing out what Joseph was doing with his brothers, because it seems like he's playing mind games with them and being malicious and, you know, just goofing off and he's going to nail them. Well, he's after some information. That's he's right. doing all of that for a purpose. Yeah. And it's when he finds out what his brothers told his father or what his father thought about him, you know, what happened to Joseph. And then he sees basically the repentance of Judah. Because yes. it was Judah who said, let's, let's sell Joseph into, you know, let's get rid of this guy. That's right. Now he's saying, let your servant be surety. I'll be the slave here, but please let Benjamin go back to his father. Awesome. That's when Joseph says, I am Joseph, yeah. your brother. No more tests. Because now, yep, now I see exactly where things stand in the family, yeah. and this is the way, the way it, should it should be. be. That's right. Beautiful that's story, and you did a good job bringing that out. I appreciate that. It's that. All that's coming up in Genesis 44. Yeah. Coming up this Sunday. Okay, okay for me, last one. Last one. Um, kind of turning back a little bit to what we've been discussing today. Um, how old was David when he began to reign as king? 40. Minus 10. <laughs> He's 30 years old. You got it. <laughs> Why, I was just going to say he reigned 40, 40 years. Yes. yes. You were okay. thinking of the length of his reign. Yes, I was. Which actually, to be technically correct, Danny, was 40 years and six months. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. If, if you go to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 4. So I'm going to take on the uh, teacher's pet looking for a bonus so you'll really give me the, the right answer. <laughs> that He actually began his reign not in Jerusalem but in Hebron. In Hebron, yep, for seven years and six months. See, that's me looking for extra credit. Yeah. And then he reigned for 33 years in Jerusalem. Which gives you the... Yep, there's the 40 and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Those are excellent Ray questions. Began, began his reign. Uh, now, I was going to originally ask this question and say, how old was David when he was anointed? Hmm. Uh, we think 17. Because it was uh, when he was the young, the young son of, of, uh, of his father. Yeah, he's the youngest son. Uh, three of his oldest brothers are already in the army. Yep. And you have to be 20 to be in the army. Mm -hmm. So you can do the backwards count there. I think he's younger than 17. Yeah, it may be. We don't know for sure, but the scriptures do point out that he began to reign as king at the age of 30. Awesome. So you Great. nailed it. Very good. 40 minus 10. It's 30. Yeah, <laughs> it's the right answer. Good man. We hope that you all did well with the trivia questions also. We, like we mentioned often, it's a, a way for us to look at different parts of the Bible that are brought out and really a surprise to us. We don't know where they're coming from. Only the one asking the question does. And it's good for us to say, you know, how well do I know that book? Or do I know who that character even is? Um, and then look into it with some enthusiasm. You know, I'm going to get this right. I want to see this for myself and uh, I want to confirm the answers that these men are providing. So uh, all of that is good for us to be stepping into God's Word together and, and to see what He has to say to us today in our lives personally to each one of us. We're always glad you joined us, and we hope and pray that God will be with you and keep you through the rest of this week as you serve Him faithfully. Amen.